Jack, welcome, welcome to Shiloh. So, uh, the Gemara says, uh, it says it in Zvachim, talks about Shiloh extensively. The, um, one of the first places Am Yisrael came, when they came there to Israel, was Shiloh. Um, we said 14 years they were based in that direction down by Jericho. And they came up to Shiloh and um, they did a bunch of things in a very, very important turning point in history. First of all, they established a new semi-permanent place for the Mishkan in Shiloh. The, Sh- the Mishkan, you remember in the, in, the, in the Torah, is like Tinker Toys. You take it apart, travel, put it together again, take it apart, travel, right? That was the way it worked. In Shiloh, it was semi-permanent. That's, re- that's referred to in the Mishnah, in the, in the Pasuk, in, in Parshish Re'eh, it says, The Menucha, the resting point was Shiloh, the Nachala, the final permanent portion, was Yushalayim. So this was almost Yushalayim, not quite. And um, and for that, so they built, they built, and we're going to see, we're going to go to a place that quite plausibly, reasonably, was the Makom of Mishkan, the place where the Mishkan stood, which, take a second. I don't know if you just realized what he just said. The Shechina was there. Did the right? leave that the was place? the place. Yeah. Did the Shechina leave the place to the go- I, I don't know over? if that means. I don't, if, 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 if you cop what we just said, but yeah. Eitan just got. I got this. And Eitan got it. I don't know. If, I don't know if other people got what the significance we just said. I got it. David got it too. I got it too. Okay. Yeah. Did, did, it, did the Shechina transfer over the to Shechina the? This was the center. I know it was here, but that means that means for three six nine years, three hundred sixty nine years, the Shechina was was based here. Um, and you brought your korbanos here. It was prohibited when the Mishkan was in Shiloh to bring your korban anywhere else. Um, if you had Meister Shani, what's Meister Shani? Coin. I mean, Meister Shani. Um, you're on the right track. Truma, the Truma Gedol and Truma's Meister goes to the Cohen. Who gets Meister Rishon? Cohen. No. Levi. Levi gets the Meister Rishon. Meister Oni. Who gets Meister Oni? That's a trick question. That's the poor. That's the poor. And Meister Shani has, a, has an unusual status. What happens with Meister Shani? No, no, neither. No. What? You bring it to Yerushalayim or Kodesh, but in the days of Shiloh, you brought your Meister Shani to Shiloh. And one of the differences the Mishnah says between Shiloh and Yerushalayim, that's how significant Shiloh is. The Mishnah is even talking about the differences between the places. Is in Shiloh, you brought your Meister Shani and also your Kachim Kalim, your lighter kinds of sacrifices. You brought it in what was called Bechola Roet. Any place that could see the Mishkan, you'd bring your you'd bring your sacrifices. You bring your Maishasheni, and you could eat it within that within that uh, see the boundary. Building or the smoke? What's that? See the actual building or the That's smoke? That's a really good question. It's a really the good question. Smoke would be much higher. Uh, the smoke would be much higher. In Mistam, it has to be the building. That's the postures of the Gemara. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's right. much so then higher. It could, then, it could building, be the then you could have an entire this entire region that we're in, which was not the case. Right. In fact, something really really interesting. This is an area that's not been that widely, not that widely explored. I know it. I know a guy who's uh, who, who who loves this stuff like I do, and he um, he actually backpacks all through these mountains. He found something very interesting. Right, Rickman, you want to hear this? We just said that, that the the Kachim Kali and the Meister Shani is eaten in Shiloh, Bechol any place you can see Shiloh. He discovered something on these mountains, walking around. He said an eight one of these old stone fences. Um, Lerone was just asking on the, right, about the, all these, I, I mentioned on the bus, this terrace 
agriculture. You ever see these stone structures? You notice yeah, from, the, yeah. from the bus windows, there were these yeah. structures. What's going on with that? They flattened the area so you could farm crops, right? And they built, it, they, they built artificial kinds of terraces so that you could have a bunch of different crops. So there was a stone structure that went around and then he, he realized something. He said, wait, everywhere he walked in all directions, circumference around ancient Shiloh, you could see the place of the Mishkan. And his theory, compelling I think, is that that was the symbolic gather so that people would know, oh, from here we can eat our Meister Shani, and from there we can't. Can I just make one quick announcement? Rabbi, Rabbi Osai, anybody who didn't put on fill in, Ben has to fill in. Anybody else have to fill in? Because Ben has left. We're very proud of you, thank you. But, uh, <laughs> right, very good, very, thank you for sharing that with us. It's a very important we're gonna thing. We're going to dive in. Make sure you put on fill we'll yeah, we'll in. We're going to dive in. Um, I know, and just the, don't forget. Yeah, a lot yeah. of guys woke up quickly and just don't forget. Yeah, that's great. That's wild. That's the only tefillin I thought other people brought too. No? Somebody else has, right? Who has? Anybody else has tefillin? Larone, but it's on the bus. Okay, fine. So we'll have we'll be back in the bus. You'll you'll you, you wear it wear it during min. Um, so they came to Shiloh to reestablish the Mishkan. This was the place is the central address for Klal Yisrael. Mm. My suggestion, my warm suggestion, is that you come and listen for a second so you understand what's going on here. The uh, then they did something really wild and miraculous. See. Up until this point, till the 14 years, the first 14 years, Am Yisrael was in Eretz Yisrael. Anybody know the end of Sefer Yoshua? Oh, the yeah, end of Sefer yeah, Yoshua? Yeah, yeah. So up until this point, how many tribes had received their tribal 11, portions 10, in Eretz Yisrael? 43. Nine. Out of 13. Oh, 13. Okay. Any other wild, totally no, off guesses? Hey, whoa, whoa. One. Wait, one, two, okay. uh, Not good. What was the first? Okay, the first group to get their nachlas were, of course, two and a half. Namely, Reuven got in half of Menashe on that side of the Jordan, right? The, the, yeah. the Averly Yardin. The two and a half tribes that are in today's Jordan and Golan Heights. And Syria, partly. Uh, that's two and a half tribes. Two and a half tribes within the 14 years got their portions, namely... Two and a half other tribes. You can guess this one. Ephraim, Menashe. Uh, Ephraim, Mena the other half of Menashe. Levi. Levi. Levi doesn't have a portion. Levi have cities situated all around. Yehuda. Yehuda. The other seven tribes. The other seven. The other seven Nachalos had not yet been divided. The Torah tells us of a wild, interesting process. How are you going to take holy Eretz Yisrael and divide it up between the tribes without causing argument? Never going to happen. Exactly. You know, you know the story. You're answering, it's an educated answer? Yes. But what is it? But not just any raffle. See, in Derek we have raffles. And we, uh, you know, we put, we, we stick a hand in and somebody pulls out a piece of paper. Uh, um, it wasn't. It was called the Goral. It was, it was a miraculous, the Goral in this event, Spoke. It was an. Wasn't it lit up like the letters? It, no, that's your Mitzumim. This was a one-time oh. miracle, oh. not a continuous miracle. It spoke and it said, "You guys are in Naftali. These are the exact borders of your dimension, of your of where you're getting the land." Um, what was and it, it spoke? What's that? What was that basket? What it was, was some it? kind of a basket. Exactly, some kind of a structure like a basket form, and speaker. it spoke to them. Why was that essential that it would speak? Because they also would argue. Right afterwards, they I want this portion. I want this portion. Right? And yeah. so this way, the rest of Eretz Yisrael was divvied up in Shiloh. Um, it's a wild story there, too. Two and a half the tribes, when they leave Shiloh, 
that Reuven got in half of Menashe start to build their own makeshift altar. And the rest of the Jews array against them in what was about to be a civil war, the first civil war Jew against Jew. And they said, no, no, misunderstanding. They said, you can't do this. We have a permanent structure in Shiloh. Nobody's allowed to build an altar, no bamos, outside of this. And they barely averted a civil war. Do they know? Let me, what, let me, show, let me show you a couple of very nice things that they have over here. Um, did we write We're not, we're not moving, we're not moving. We're going to bench in the moment. We're not going to bench this yet. So you get, what is this meant to be a replica of? Oh, are these the... Uh, the the, 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 the corn. Yeah, yeah, what's that called? The The yeah. Okay. Right. It's the Hoshin Mishpat, right? You see the different, the different stones, the different stones with the uh, with the different names of the of the Shvatim, the Shivtekha, right? These were these were there. Yosef, we know, in the tribal distribution has two tribes: Ephraim and Manasseh. Levi, we just said, doesn't have um, their own tribal distribution. Look at Eretz Yisrael. Come over here. Stop spinning it. Try to look at it, like. Like a semi-circle to everybody who wants you to see. Well, yeah, he's learning tired. I think he looks like he's sleeping. Yeah, right. Of course, he he's fell asleep on the safer. Right. Uh, by the way, don't trust. Come on over and check check the map for a bit. Don't trust your government, kids. That wasn't the end of this particular sentence. I would agree with the statement. Concord. Smart group, yeah? Right, 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 right. How do you know which tribe you're from? How do you know which tribe you're from? So um nobody knows for sure who they are. Dope, how do you know the Iroquois? Somebody else. So that's the old joke, right? My, my, my father, my, my grandfather, but the truth is, we don't have to give our Mysoretian to a Levi because they, they have to prove their living and nobody can do that decisively to take money. I heard the Salvation, you can, you can, I heard the Salvation, they, they say they can prove it. Kohanim, you can, you can do it. There's nothing wrong with doing it, you just don't have to because it's hard to know. Most of the ten tribes, there was one ten met, who was it he met? Uh, Rappaport. Rappaport's are Kohanim. They're 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 Seriously, are, are you from the line from Rashi? Because there's a whole, yeah, their families that trace the line from Rashi. Rashi. Rashi and Marshal, it goes Rashi, down. NFL. Anybody have fr any, any related to the Barbanel family? Yeah. No, because the Barbanel, another another family, different different line. <laughs> the Barbanel family, Don Yitzchak Barbanel traces lineage from from David. Well, can I ask can I ask a question, Rabbi Lois? Why are we called the, step, 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 What's the Hebrew two. word for Jews? Yehuda. Because we were saved or rescued. We're from the Shavu. So David asked a very. David asked. Listen, listen. So listen. David asked a very good question. Step back two steps so everybody who wants you can see. And if you're if you're uh, taller, move a little bit back so the shorter people can see. Back. 
I didn't want to say. Um, yeah. So this is where this arraignment of um, this is where this arraignment internal filters. They're so good. Uh, I got them on the phone. Mouths, mouths be great. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, muscles be good. Um, this is what happened in Shiloh. All these tribes got their portions. Now I said never trust a map because I don't know about your Sefer Torah, mine does not come with fold-out maps. So you don't know for sure, and there's some question actually about a lot of a lot of lamdonas, a lot, a lot, a lot of parshanos, a lot of explanation about where exactly the borders are. But this is a, 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 this is a pretty decent map. Um, it's an educated guess. Um, Shimon was swallowed up within Yehuda. Binyamin, we are in Yerushalayim, or Sameach is right hovering between the borders between Yehuda in the south, Binyamin in the north. We traveled through Binyamin on the way to Ephraim. We're in Shiloh and Ephraim, as we said on the bus. Uh, Menasha, the, uh, the half that's in Eretz Yisrael proper, is just north of here. Uh, and, and this is the center of Eretz Yisrael as it was in the biblical time. This is what's called Me'er Liardin, the two and a half tribes. And um, David, your question is excellent. Your question is excellent. Why are we called the Jews? Rabbi Brickman was talking about this. Ten tribes seceded from the nation. The book of uh, the book of in, in, in Malachim, we learn the tragedy of ten tribes moving away from the central southern tribe. The southern kingdom was called Yehuda, the northern Israel. These ten tribes were eventually taken captive by by Ashur, by Sanhedrin and Ashur up in today's Syria. And where are they today? Nobody um, knows. What are they called? The Lost Tribes. Right, right. The ten Lost Tribes. It's not entirely true that they're all lost. We know that there were stragglers and remnants that managed to, 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 to hold forth. We know that some of Ephraim, B'nai Ephraim, actually left Egypt too early. They were killed by Anshe Gat. Uh, Gat is somewhere around here. Uh, south here is Kiryat Gat. Gat is probably more like here. Biblical Gat. Um, and their bones washed down to Bavel and they were revived by in the dry, they were the dry bones revived in the, in, the, in the episode with the um, Hezekiah yeah. Navi, so some of us may descend. We, we may descend from these dry bones from Ephraim. We really don't know. One of the jobs of El, of Eliyahu Navi when he comes back, one busy Navi, he's gonna have to say, "You're from Naphtali and you're from Yisachar," and he'll identify who we are. Oh, uh, until then, until was that? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so the Gorn is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, why is some? Why is it some oh, trip up in Great Gilles. question. I have I have a file huh? on Zvulun. On your question, I'm not kidding. It's based on a, it's based on a, a very ambiguous puzzle in Sefer Yoshua. But in this week's parsha, Mordechai, where are you? This week's parsha. Of course, the test on all this afterwards. And this week's parsha. So, um, so Yaakov Avinu gives a bracha to Yisachar and Zvulun. Zvulun are the land, are the merchants. They're out to sea, and they're making all the money, the big bucks, so they can come in and support their brother Yisachar, who's sitting and learning Torah in, in, in the base medrash. Right, Zachar and Zvulun. But then what's the deal? If they're out by the sea and they're by, they, they've got the coastal plain, how come they're landlocked here? Well, so it's based, on a, pasuk, it's based on a Pasuk in Sefer Yoshua that indicates perhaps they're landlocked, but it's ambiguous like anything. So we really don't know for sure. There's a river on the way. Yeah, maybe. No, it's not a river. That's, 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 considered, that's a considered a boundary. A border. Between the two. Anyway, there's a lot of, as I said, these are, this is not authoritative. There's all More kinds questions of questions there, about, about this. But it does give you a sense of Am Yisrael breaking out and into this holy land of Eretz Yisrael. When they come back, when we all come back, hopefully soon in the end of days, what's this division of tribes going to look like? One big mishkabal. No, not at all. We know this from Sefer Yechezkel. Sefer Yechezkel says it's not going to resemble this map. Rather, each of the tribes, they're all coming back. All the ten lost tribes will return to Eretz Yisrael. Uvau ha'ovdim be'eretz Ashur. 
Right, the uh, the pasuk in Yeshaya tells us they're all coming back in the future. Even though it seems like it's a machlokis in the mission Sanhedrin, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Eliezer, but in point of fact, they're all coming back in the end of days, and they're each going to get an equal land distribution. Each of the tribes, and it's not going to go demographically. Even the small tribes are going to have the same, and, and in perfect strips of land from north to south. The only difference is Yerushalayim will be a, a, a national. Uh, you know, a, a city for everybody, and it'll change topographically. All the mountains around Yushalayim will flatten. Yushalayim will rise up in the center uh, quite grandly. And um, But all of Eretz Yisrael is coming back, and the Kedusha here is immense, right? I don't know if you feel it, but, you know, the sin in Eretz Yisrael counts a thousandfold. And the same act in Chutzlar. It's a mitzvah in Eretz HaKodesh. We're about to bench in a couple minutes. A mitzvah. You bench with Kavan in Eretz HaKodesh. You do, you do a mass, massive mystical kinds of things when you're benching. Yes. So you said that Yerushalayim will be like a city for everybody. Yeah. Does that mean that the tribes weren't allowed to go into each other's uh, like, land? Why is well, like at the time, there was a big importance. You ask a few things in one question. The, the idea of ancestral property was huge. And in fact, you had cities, and you had you had um, you had also cities. Marriage. Marriage. Right. You, you people paid attention. Today, we don't have any of this. Right. We can we can barely track our own lineage. Right. That's why Eliyahu Novi is going to have to help us out so much. But in the future days, we're going to get prophetic guidance. We're not so concerned about this. Let's say Usher needs to go all the way down south for some reason. Would they have? Would they be allowed to walk through every? Not a problem. Will not be a problem. In the, in the tragic biblical days, when the ten tribes had their own nation, um, Yeruvim ben Nevat, one of his most wicked acts was to put border guards between the north and the south, preventing Jews from getting to Yerushalayim. It's a great tragedy of that period. So exactly your question, where they couldn't get between the uh, between the, the boundaries. Yeruvim ben Nevat, this, this power-hungry guy. Um, who wanted? He didn't want to be threatened by the real kings from the house of David. So he said, "I'm the real king, and I don't want you to go to Yerushalayim every year for um, for the holidays." Hey, Rabbi, were they not allowed to? Were they not allowed to like live in other Like, did God not live in Osha? Everybody had their ancestral property, and that's where people lived, and that was okay. That was. It's not like it was a prohibition, but people were tribal. They stayed within their tribes. What we're gonna do? What we're gonna do? Let's let's. If anybody needs to, let's bench. Go back and bench. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang around and answer all questions. Everybody who needs to bench, go and go and sit and bench. Instead of the rooftop in Shiloh, where it was stone uh, roof, and um, and there was not wood, they made they made it out of stone, and there was a general feeling of okay, we're coming there to strong. There's semi permanence here. Rabbi Dani, I guess we could start it. Yeah. What is this? This is a hologram of the Mishkan. The dark days of slavery are over. We've left this. Back at the foot of Mount Sinai, we were commanded for the first time to build a tabernacle. And in fact, after the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the tabernacle was built. The tabernacle is a portable, temporary temple. But for 39 years, it accompanied us in our wanderings through the desert, taken apart and reassembled again and again. After entering the Holy Land, Joshua established the tabernacle in Shiloh. The Shiloh tabernacle is built of a stone foundation and wooden beams and covered by layers of fabric. 
a combination symbolizing the transition from a temporary tabernacle to a more permanent one. Shiloh is to be the dwelling place of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, the holiest site for the Jewish people for 369 years. The tabernacle is comprised of two main parts, the courtyard and the tabernacle tent. The tabernacle courtyard was rectangular, 100 cubits in length by 50 cubits in width, about 50 meters by 25 meters. In the heart of the courtyard stood the altar, made of wood overlaid with copper. On it burned the eternal fire, on which sacrifices, meal offerings, and wine offerings were made every single day. Since it is forbidden to ascend the altar by stairs, the Kohanim, the priests, ascended by a ramp. Before the Kohanim begin the tabernacle service, they would purify their hands and feet in the copper laving basin which stood between the altar and the tabernacle tent. It is said that when the contributions for the tabernacle were collected in the desert, all the women donated their copper mirrors from which the laving basin was made. First thing in the morning, the Kohanim entered the tabernacle tent, the sanctuary, for the day's service. Twice a day, they burned incense on the gold-plated incense altar. A blend of 11 special spices, which were placed on the coals, and whose wonderful perfume wafted far into the distance. Once a week, 12 special loaves of bread were placed on the golden table, which stood at the north end of the sanctuary. The secret method of preparing the showbread was passed down from father to son. Every evening, the candles of the seven-branched menorah, which stood in the south across from the table, were kindled. The menorah was made of a single piece of solid gold and ornamented with flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms. At the tip of every branch was a receptacle into which pure olive oil was poured. Ever since, the menorah has been one of the symbols of the Jewish nation. Only once a year, on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, entered the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies stood the Ark of the Covenant, on top of which were the curtain and the two cherubs. The cherubs were in the form of two angels facing each other with wings outstretched over the Ark. Inside the Ark were the tablets of the Covenant, the first tablets which were broken by Moses, and the second, unbroken tablets. The tablets and the broken tablets lie inside the ark. This is the place from which God's voice is heard. And I will speak to you from above the ark cover, between the two cherubs, which are above the ark of the covenant. The tabernacle is a place of meeting, where man meets himself, where man meets his brothers and his people. Where man meets his creator, there is much more to it than meets the eye. The clues and secrets hidden in every part of the tabernacle and its vessels are many and lofty. For 369 years, the tabernacle dwelt in Shiloh, 
until the city was destroyed by the Philistines. It then wandered until Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. But to this very day it is said, if you stand where the tabernacle stood and take a deep, deep breath, you can smell, if only for a moment, the scent of the incense which still suffuses the walls. some of the grandeur. This is one of the better pieces they have here. Awesome, right? Awesome. You should feel this. Just go to your bones. Listen to, they just made a, a, a not quite good enough reference. Let me give it to you more clearly. It's a Gemara in Yuma. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, one of the great last of the last of the Tanaim, early Amorayim. Said, Sachli Zokin Echad, an old man told me. That if you go to Shiloh, as we're about to go into Tel Shiloh, we've just been in the entrance so far. We haven't gone to the mound where the ancient city stood. We're just about to leave and go there. You know how that works. The people lived before the Roman times. You had to live near a mound where there was sweet water underground. Otherwise, you couldn't survive. Most ancient communities were on a Tel. We're about to go into the Tel of Shiloh that, in fact, archaeologically matches up, but perfectly with Biblical Shiloh, one of the things we'll talk about when we get to the tell is how do we know if we know that this is Shiloh. But he said, the end of the Gemara is, an old man told me he went to Shiloh and he smelled deeply and he smelled the, the fragrant smell of the Keteris, of the incense. And what was mashma there was not just that it's here and tangible for anybody who wants to pay attention and smell, wake up and smell the coffee as we say, but that people, Yidden, our ancestors, were doing this over the generations. Meaning, Rabbi Shubin Levi, he lived approximately in the year 200, 250 of the Common Era. And we're alive, right? Some 1,700 years after Rabbi Shubin Levi. And we're going here too. Like, Yidden come back to Shiloh with all the destruction of the Philistines, but Shiloh's still a thing, right? Um, pay attention now and, and gird yourself. Again, I'm encouraging you. Whatever your mood is today, whatever your state of mind is right now, try not to pay attention as you are today. Try to pay attention and absorb as much as you can as you project yourself to be in 10, 20 years, the Talmud Chacham each of you is going to be with a greater appreciation. And, and keep this in mind because it's going to stay with you. Like this visit to Shiloh will all go into your kishkas and you'll have a concrete picture of all this great, uh, all these antiquities, all these stories of, of the Gedoli Olam and the greatness of the Mishkan uh, as it was. So where we're standing is the bottom of the original biblical tell, meaning, um, and, yeah, I, I, archaeology is not always a religiously um, consistent science. Uh, they sometimes try to disprove the Torah, disprove the Bible. Interestingly, in Shiloh, though some of them tried, some of the big secular archaeologists of the day, Israel Finkelstein was one of them from Tel Aviv University, came and, and they, were, they had no real choice. They had to kind of come to the conclusion that um, this matched up with everything we know of the, of the Bible. Take, take this piece of information and, and do with it whatever you want. Um, they found a bunch of animal bones by altars further in where we're going. And um, they were all kosher animals. Altars, plural, or one? So what does that interesting detail say to you, Josh? Why no? 
Well, why? What's the logic? You know that all around Eretz Yisrael, it wasn't only Jewish. They were going here, they were pagan, they were idol worshippers. And, you know, they found altars because, you know, the pagans also offered sacrifices, offered animals. But around those altars, they found non-kosher animal bones. So if you come to a place that claims to be Shiloh and you find kosher animal bones, that adds up pretty nicely. It does. Yeah. Um, so outside here are ruins. Now, why are there churches here? Why later on did Muslims come here and build a mosque? It's the holy place. What's that? No, it may. No, they think it might. The altar may come back to the first temple period. One of the confusing things when you come to antiquities is you got in one place you have the most ancient group that lived here in the times of Shiloh, even before the first temple. That was the 369 years we keep referring to, right? Then you have the first temple period, the second temple period. I'm going like this because in, in, on a tell, the higher you go, the more modern the settlements. Um, but then later on, other groups came back. You know that there were times in history that Eretz Israel was ruled by, by Christians. Yeah. So they built their churches because they claimed to be the continuation of the Jews. If Shiloh was holy to the Jews, well, then it's Christian. And when the Muslims came and conquered it from the Christians, and they built their own, their own mosques here. Well, then they're the continuation of the Jews and the Christians. So they have their own things. But then in all this heap of confusion that you would find potentially a first temple, you, know, you, like, you dig between the, the mosque up here, and you get the church down here, and then you go way, way back a few layers, a few strata, and you get down to the level where they found an altar. It's all one big confusion, a hodgepodge. <laughs> now the altar, what was in Shiloh in the first temple period was a very big deal was uh, a guy by the name, a guy, a, a Navi, the Gadol Ador, the student of Eliyahu Navi. Alicia. Um, Alicia. Nah, nah. Oh, excuse me, not, not the student, the Rebbe of, of, of Eliyahu Navi. Oh. Me. The <laughs> Rebbe of Eliyahu Navi. You're right, Alicia, of course, is a student. The Rebbe of Eliyahu Navi was Achia HaShiloni. Achia HaShiloni from Shiloh. And so Shiloh was a thing. Jews came back and rebuilt here. And that's what you get. You're coming into tell. You're coming into all these different strata with all these great chapters in history that we read about. And um, I, I, I get excited coming here because, like, all this stuff is stuff that I. It, it's like anybody into sports. Yeah. Anybody yeah. meet your, any of your sports heroes? Nope. That ever? Or if you like music or movies, you see a celebrity and are you get really excited. Or you're a movie star, right? That's oh, I'm good. excited. Yay. Yeah, right? I'll give you an autograph. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Thank you. So I'm saying, but this kind of feeling, when, when you identify with something, and as Jews, if we identify with our, with our holy Tanakh, coming to the place where it happened has, has, has more profound significance. Um, let's go explore this out. This is already coming into the area that almost certainly was, and this is deep down, right? This is almost certainly part of the tell as it was when Shiloh was in its heyday. As we explore the, the ruins of ancient Shiloh, anybody's just coming right now and you're a little confused, pretty interesting. I mean, this was really not that long ago. They did. They started the first serious archaeological expedition done by, of all people, uh, Danish Christians in the 1800s. They came here. And then progressively over the years, more people came and excavated, uh, including a major excavation in the 1980s by this secular uh, group from the Tel Aviv University. And they did one recently, just within the last 10 years. They did, they did yet another... Uh, why do they do all these excavations? Well, when you, you come into some money, so then you can afford it, and then you open up a big uh, excavation, you close down the site, you, you try to take it to the next level, and then it closes down when you run out of the money. Um, 
here's some of the things that they found. Again, let me summarize our arguments. Why do we think this is Shiloh? This valley in front of us, the Arabs called Sahal El Banat, the Valley of the Daughters. They said this on the bus. Uh, they have traditions. Um, they, the, the village down the way is called Silon. The names of the Arabs, the Arabs have been here arguably from time immemorial, at least dating way back to the second, arguably first temple period. Right? They've retained these names. Um, this tell the, 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 the um, dating of the carbon-14 tests. Carbon-14 is how they check organic matter to figure out how old the stuff is. Um, they date it back to the period what we call the early and, mid early and mid bronze period. That's around the time of Shiloh. Mm -hmm. And um, here's something else. And we talked about the fact that the animal bones that they found were almost exclusively kosher animal bones, indicating that this was a Jewish settlement and not a Goyish pagan settlement. Um, they found olive presses. Now, it's true in this, in this example, olives were not exclusively used by Jews. Yeah, there's, uh, other people use olives, but Jews really used olives. Why? Muslims, Muslims can't drink olives. The oh, menorah, sure, the, menorah the, the wine, it's central and everything. Not just that. Learning Torah at nighttime. We needed, Rav Dani's saying big right now, we needed oh. Jews subsist on our learning. Right? We're not learning, give me my chavrus, give me death. I can't live without Torah. Jews were, and this is unique, the, the world was illiterate. They didn't learn, they didn't need the light of the lamp. They went to sleep when the lights, when the sun went down. They woke up with the sunrise, like we all do in there. Wow, we don't even wake up. By oh, sunrise. that's why they dominate. That's right. You have dominates because you don't have kelim, but, but if you have, you have oil. So, so one of the distinguishing signs of Jewish yeah. communities from antiquity was an olive press. You can pick that and see. This is a classic olive press. Olive press tough to extract the water, the the, the, um, the oil from. If you um, you can see the, the picture is really well done. It's something done. With, it's it's a wheel system that crushes the olives. They have the a functioning one batch, at the entrance. The when you put the re the fresh I olives could. in that are ready to be uh, to be crushed, the first batch of oil that comes out is called. Uh, not, yeah, size size up. Extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin virgin just means it's the freshest from the best the best quality is the first oil that comes out of the olive. The, um, we had this discussion by the Hanukkah candle. The best there, the, the best of Shemin Zayt that you want your Hanukkah Shemin Zayt Zak extra virgin olive oil. Um, most can say you probably shouldn't use ideally at least is what's called Shemin Lamor, which is just the lower grade, the worst quality, the the oil for lighting because um, it's not edible. We don't eat that stuff. Uh, it comes from the dregs. What they do is they take all the really already crushed and recrushed dregs of the olive and they put it through water and they, they get out every last vestige of oil once upon a time. Anyway, to come here, we're going to talk along the way. We'll see wine presses. Wine was a staple of the Jewish life. You're right, Chaim. We didn't have, uh, the, the Muslims didn't yeah. have wine. Uh, but wine is another indication the Jews were here. Not a proof. But a, but a strong indication is here. And of course, Dagan, there were, there were fields down in the valley. There are fields of, of, of grain they found in Shiloh in the 1980s. They found massive storage uh, storage sheds. We're going to see them. We're going to go into a museum inside, and we'll see. They have a nice display of some of the, some of the funds. They found a um, what's called a rimmed jar, these old clay jugs that they had, and they, some of them had the olive pits, and they had dried up kernels of grain. Um, we say this in Kriyashma, right? That Hashem is going to enrich us, He's going to give you the um, Gantza, Tiroshka, Vyitarcha, right? You're the three 
staples of Jewish uh, food. We have your grains, you have your wine, and you have your olive press, and more indication of rich, vibrant Jewish life, our family's life, as they lived it here in Shiloh, the center of the Jewish world. If anybody's keeping tabs, am I being recorded? Yeah. Anybody's keeping tabs, so we're trying to build an argument why this is quite convincingly Shiloh. Um, we don't know a lot of antiquities, their precise location. Yushalayim is, without a doubt, Yushalayim only because eyes of the world have been focused on Yushalayim from time immemorial, from all days. So there's very little doubt about Yushalayim. Hebron is a similar kind of an argument. Shiloh, Shiloh came, rose up, was designated as the Makama Mishkan. Again, 369, 369 years. This is the place. This is the center of gravity of all of Eretz Israel. It's fairly central, even though we're about 45 minutes north of Orsmea, where we are. But most of the Shifteka, most of the 12 tribes, have access to Shiloh from wherever they are. Around the country, in the middle of the country, this is the main road. I mentioned on the bus there that everybody in history traveled. I mentioned my hero, one of my heroes. Uh, you have to read about him. He's an awesome figure. His name was Astoria Parchi. He came after his family was kicked out of France in 1306. You know there are people who were always kicked out of wherever we lived. Really? You name it, we were kicked out. Uh, yeah, we have, I mean, in America, we haven't, we haven't worn out our welcome. Baruch Hashem, that's what Hashem, that shouldn't happen. But uh, virtually every other place kicked us out. France kicked us out um, in three major expulsions, three times in the same 14th century. And Rabbi Shroya Parchi shrugged his shoulders like some serious Jews did. And he said, well, if I am homeless, let me go back and make a home in the holiest place. When he came, he arrived in seven years seven years to actually travel from France to uh, a four-hour plane ride, right? From France to uh, Eretz Israel. He finally made it in 1313. And he comes, the land is barren. Virtually void of people. Few scattered Jews here and there. There was the, the major base. In 1313, where would you find the biggest Talmud? How many of you know this? Bnei Brak. No, Bnei Brak was under rubble. Oh, uh, Vilna. In Eretz Israel, in Palestine, as it was called. Interesting, the big, the, the, the base, the, the base Midrash de Paris, the Parisian base Medrash that was built by Bali Tosfos would come in the earlier century and was actually uh, Ramban, the whole Heliga Ramban came for the last years of his life, the Nachmanides, was in Akko. Akko, which is ironic because it's debatable in the Gorangitim whether that's even Eretz Israel. So the Gatavera came, he based himself in a place north of here you can visit today. Anybody been to Beit Shan? One of the ancient Roman cities that's been preserved. Nope. Beit Shan, mean anything, anybody? Nope. Oh, it's a great, another, another great place to visit. There's a lot of stuff to explore in Eretz Israel. He lived in Beit Shan, and he traveled everywhere, and he kept a travel log, and he wrote, he's considered the first Hoker Rishon, one of the first investigators of Eretz Israel for the modern day. Much of what he wrote has significance in halacha, including the Shemitah year, like this year, and determining what's Eretz Israel, what are the borders, what's not, in terms of where you can plant your crops and, and, and how you know whether there's Kedusha Shvis or not. I had a banana this morning that Kedusha Shvis, you have Kedusha Shvis, you know how to treat it properly? Like the oranges. The oranges sometimes, I had a banana this morning that has Kedusha Shvis in it. Right, so he figured out where the borders would be. He writes, he comes to Shiloh. And how does he know in 1313 when they're virtually... There are pockets of Jews living in the persecution. Who is the dominant, re, who, are the, who are the sovereign in power in 1313? Who is in charge in 1313? This is the, these are the waning, this is the, um, the, the last of the um, crusaders, Baruch Hashem, were kicked out of Akko in 1292. 
And the power is a very corrupt regime called the Mamluks, bad people. Uh, they're Muslim power, and they're dominant here. Made it very hard to live here, but he didn't care. He said with very rudimentary skill, he had very, there were virtually no roads, no measuring sticks. He probably didn't have a shas in Eretz Yisrael. There's a uh, place right in front of Harnof where they, they, they put out all these great books on, uh, on Torah to do with Eretz Yisrael, and they put out a new version of the Katha of Pharaoh, his, his masterpiece. And they, they make a great observation. They point out that he knew Shas and Poskin cold. And they could tell because of his mistakes. Why can you tell me about a person's mistakes? Mistakes are great. We're all human. We mistakes, that's the Gemars right? they had had those mistakes. Right. He had very few mistakes that reflected the idea that he knew everything and occasionally made a little, little, little mistake. But it probably meant he, he made a mistake because everything he knew was from his early learning and really his life when he was in France. And Eric's just probably didn't have access to some of the great sparring. And so he, he, he did it from memory. When you're doing things from memory, sometimes you uh, miss it here and there a little bit. Uh, when it comes to Shiloh, this is, he's, he's, he's like you and me. He's a Yid. He's from France. He was exiled with the rest of the Jews from France in 1306, comes in 1313, was based north of here in Beishan, traveled to Yerushalayim, said there was no coast cell to speak of. He couldn't access the Western Mall. All, all of them, he dabbled from the eastern side, from the Mount of Olives, uh, and he was kicked out. He comes to Shiloh, he sees Muslims living next door in a, in, in a village called Silo, like it's called today. Okay, that's pretty strong. And they said, yeah, that's it. They maintain some kind of tradition. And he comes and he explores. He doesn't see as much as we see. All this has been un- unearthed in the last uh, really few decades, what we see right now. Actually, this is the nicest I've ever seen it. I've guided Shiloh a few dozen times, and, uh, and I haven't seen it quite as nicely arranged as it is, but they're always upgrading and making it nice. And he comes here. Is this the same ground, or is it leveled up? Um, or is it like, was it a lot lower? Like, by the coastline, you see it's been raised So up. what happens in archaeology, the deeper you dig, the further back in time you go. Right. Because dust settles. You know, when you leave the house for a little bit, the dust all settles in. You do yeah. that over a few hundred years, a lot, a lot of stuff settles. So, the deeper you go, the further back in time you get. So they had to excavate. Excavating means you're digging, and you're finding. They dug down. This was much higher. So this was higher. This was much higher, and they, they excavated, and they found this place. And yet again... Another illustration that this is Shiloh, I'll give you one more. The Gemara Gitin tells the story of Rav Papa. Jews of the ages have been fascinated by Shiloh, by our holy places, and they've come here. Rav Papa describes that Shiloh is just east of the Mesila. What's a Mesila? Anybody learn Mesila Shisharim? Uh, good luck. Pathway. Pathway, the main street, what we call Route 60. That's right outside our door in, in Or Sameach. is also Route 60. This road goes right by our yeshiva. Same road. The big north-south axis through Eretz Israel, Route 60. He says Shiloh's right to the east, right off, right between mountains as they curve, right, right, right south of the big mountain as it curves around. He describes the place we're sitting in. That's where Papa and the Gemara Gitin. His words were were, were were reflected over a thousand years later by the Kath of Ferach, and they're reiterated today. These are all strong arguments. I wouldn't offer them as definitive proof, but pretty strong indication that we're sitting in Shiloh. And they came to a place, and they found ruins in this particular area. This is where they found all the kosher bones. Kosher bones, not one trayful. This is where they found, um, they found a lot of, um, they found grape dregs, dried grape, dried raisins. Uh, indication of wine, wine libations used as part of, this, part of our service, part of the avoda in the Mishkan. Meaning everything's lining up so that we have a very strong case to be made that we're actually sitting in the area where the Mishkan actually was. So if you remember the hologram that we just saw, they brought it to life, and we're going to see another movie that will bring it even further to life. This is the place. 
So that's pretty awesome. And uh, you're here, and you want to take all this in and take a lot of mental snapshots and try to remember that you're here, because this is going to come up in your life as you're learning all the stories. Uh, I was saying to somebody that the stories you want to know about Shiloh as you'll come up, you want to listen to your show, especially the end. All of Shoftim, this is the center of address, the judges, and you're the beginning of Shmuel. And let me give you a little bit of color, a little of the history, some of the, some of the big drama of the great, great people who are here. Um, the last of the judges, Ramban says in this week's parsha, because everything's in this week's parsha. Uh, the last of the judges, he claims, was Shimshon Agibor, Samson. Uh, because he was the last one to really defend the Jews. But honestly, a few people retained the title even after Shimshon. And one of them, the next generation, was Eli HaKohen. Eli spelled with an iron. Not Eli, but Eli HaKohen. He was a descendant from Itamar's Bitzadik. And uh, he reigned here as the Kohen Gadol. And he had a couple sons named Chofni and Pinchas. What kind of uh, people were they? They liked meat. They liked meat. They seemed to like meat. That's what the puzzle says, right? They seem, if you just read the Pesukim alone, they seem like bad guys, his sons. Of course, the Gemara and Shabbos, you can't learn the, pas- the, the Pesukim without getting guidance from Chazal. The Gemara and Shabbos tells us that Misha Omer Shechofni Pinchas Chatu Eno Elatoa. Somebody who says the Pinchas and Chofni were actual sinners is making a mistake. It's not what it appears in the Pesukim. They weren't Beseder, but their, their sins were relatively mild by our standards. Um, they made a terrible mistake, though. They, um, they calculated in a battle against their enemies, the Plishtim, the same Philistines that we talked about earlier today, that they'd have better luck if they took the holy Aron Kodesh out to war with them. The Aron Kodesh is here in Shiloh. Again, for all this period, uh, and the Aron Kodesh we saw in the hologram had what inside of it? What did they tell us? The Ten Commandments, which ones? Both of them. The broken ones Moshe broke. The, the, the second one, the Luchos Shneos that were retained in... Oh, there was something else that the Hologram missed. Anybody else knows inside? What? Sacred Torah. What are the 13? Twelve tribes each got one of the Sacred Torah that Moshe made wrote. One of the Sacred Torah, the original, was in the Mishkan. It was in the Aron Kodesh, the Holy Ark. Right? Indiana Jones in the Holy Ark. This Holy Ark... Wait, wouldn't there be 14? Wouldn't there be 14? What? Wouldn't there be 14 because Yosef was divided into two? No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was 12 out? because um, Levi didn't get there. They didn't have their own tribe. He, he sent it to each of the portions where they had, where they had, uh, where they had property. They take, the, they take the Aron Kodesh. They go due west. If you went, uh, for, this is the central mountain, spine of Eretz Yisrael. Due west is already Tel Aviv and, and the coastal plain. And they, they did battle against the Philistines out in that direction. They were trounced. They were demolished in the battle. The Aron Kodesh was captured. A messenger comes back to Elia Cohen, and he tells them the worst of the news. And Eli Cohen is so traumatized, it's interesting. He's traumatized. His daughter-in-law, the widow now of Hofni, hears the news. But when they hear about the death of his sons, her husband, they're, of course, devastated. But when they hear of the loss of the Aron Kodesh, two things happen. Eli falls backwards, hits his head, and dies instantly. And um, the, the, his daughter-in-law, the widow, the new widow, miscarries. Uh, not miscarries. She, she, uh, she has the baby. She has the baby and she dies in childbirth. She names the baby before she dies. Ichavod. Lack of honor. Ichabod. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod is the basis of that, of that, of that name. And um, the Philistines make inroads. They come to Shiloh. It's the Philistines that ultimately destroy Shiloh. From here, the Mishkan... Uh, moves to for a period of time. It moves. It moves to um, Nov, 
for 13 years. We talked about, no, maybe we passed it earlier. To, earlier, That's where uh, the first king of the Jews, Shaul, will go, and he will uh, do terrible mischief. In uh, He'll kill 85 Kohanim in Nov, then moves to Givon, and finally to Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim. So that's the, just the tracing of the, of the Mishkan. Let me back up one more story, one more, one more, probably the most famous, significant story in Shiloh, one for the ages. I know a lot of you are familiar with it. Um, while Eli was still alive earlier, there's a great man, this is the very beginning of the first chapter of, of Shmuel Aleph. A great man named Elkanah, who was married to a very righteous, couple righteous women. His wives, Elkanah's wives, were named? Uh, Hannah. Hannah and? Panina. Panina. Panina was at Snakes, even though the Medrash doesn't make her sound so all that flattering. Um, and they come, they come to Shiloh, they have all the good Jews, came to Shiloh. Like, you would come to Shiloh all the time. Shocking that this is the first time Shana Aleph ever came to Shiloh. Wow. In Second time of that. Well, we came, Shana Aleph. Last year uh, we came uh, Shana Base only. Uh, wow. By the way, by the way, most of my students from um, Shana Base from last year, they were skipped. Right, they were Shana Aleph last year, so they didn't get to go to Shiloh. And right. This year they're up. They're yeah, they're about, yeah. Right, right, and eating all this fancy. It's food. kind of you funny. Guys, you guys get the real memories. They just have fancy food. Because the year before last, it was. Corona. No, yeah, we got away. It was also a war. Last year was war. Last year was war. Anyway, we're here. Everybody oh, yeah, uh, they come to Shiloh. Yeah. Hannah, Penina has children. Hannah doesn't have any children. And as a Jewish woman, she understands that part of her destiny is to build the nation. And she's devastated she doesn't have any children. Yvonne Brahmes tells us how Hannah would come, the suffering of Hannah's prayer. Hannah would come and daven. And her daven was un, uh, it was extraordinary. Not like you're in my davening, and, as, I mean, it's something we aspire to. Uh, maybe, so, maybe it is like you're davening. I don't know about mine. But uh, we work on it. But Chana set the mold of, of davening, and in fact, she's one of the figures. We learn a bunch of halachas from Chana's davening. Chana's, it said, uh, her lips moved, and, and sound came out, but you couldn't hear it. We're supposed to daven like that, where it's audible to us, but nobody else should be able to hear it. Don't disturb your people around you. Um, she davened, it says, he, he midaberet al liba. She spoke with her heart. She, it says, oh, uh, I have a hard time davening now, no? It's hard to daven. It's hard to really dive. We're going to dive in, in a few minutes. Very hard to pour our hearts out to Kaddish Baruch Hu. We don't see him. We don't know. We also lack a certain innate spirituality that they used to have in these days. They had prophecy in these days. They were connected to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Hashem's the Shechina that was situated here was luminescent. Everybody just lived with the Shechina. And so davening gushed out. She spoke from the heart. She just, it was so natural. You spoke to Hashem. It was a close, it was close, you were close to him. You were in his presence. Her davening was so profound, so intense, that Elia Cohen had never seen anything quite like it, and he mistook her for a drunken, drunken woman. That's how intense her davening, davening was. He got the he got, the Medrash tells us he got a wrong message from his Urim and Tumim, where he could he could actually check what she was like. And it said in the Urim and Tumim, or he put the letters together. The Urim and Tumim give you the letters. You're supposed to be knowledgeable enough to put them together accurately. He thought that she was Shikora. She was a drunkard. Shikar. Shikar was a goy. She thought he was Shikara. When he rebukes her and he says, you can't come to the Mishkan in a state of drunkenness. She responds and she says, you mistook it. It's not true and it's not fair. She said, reread the letters. It's not Shikara. It's, and there are two possible alterna uh, alternatives. She was Kshera. She was an Isha Kshera, kosher holy woman. Alternately, she was, and this is probably more accurate, she was Kisara. 
She was like Sarah. How was she like Sarah? She didn't have kids. She didn't have kids. And a barren woman, nothing like the feel of a barren woman, Hashem desires it. Not coincidentally. When do we read the story of Sarah and her barrenness? When do we read the story of Hannah and her barrenness? On Rosh Hashanah. Their children were born. Rachel, too. We read about Rachel, also Rachel Imenu, on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, the tefillah. They set the mold of tefillah. Uh, Penina used to give Hannah a hard time, the Medrash says. And it's kind of a shocking Medrash. What's going on with Penina? She said, um, have you um, knitted a sweater for your kids? Oh, I'm sorry. You, you don't have any kids. That's so awkward. Sorry about that. She said, um, you know, have your kids come home from school yet? She said, oh, no, you don't have any kids to go to school. That's so bad. So like Darth jokes. Right, really, really bad. <laughs> she would say this. And um, the, the, the Mepharshim said that Penina was well motivated. She didn't feel that Hannah was davening stark enough. So she was trying to, like, feed into the davening. She, she, she should do it properly. Uh, we, learned from, we learned from this powerful figure, Hannah. Hannah um, says... Hannah was one of the three people that Imam Bracho said who spoke with chutzpah klape shmaya. Spoke with chutzpah to Kaddish Baruch Can you do that? Is anybody alive capable of doing that? Well, evidently she could, and she got away with it because she was so sincere. She said, Kaddish Baruch you know, um, I'd like a baby. And we can do it your way, we can do it my way, whatever you want, but like, yeah, I'd like a baby. She said, um, you could, yeah, I could have a baby like, the normal way, but that's okay. If you don't want to give me a baby that way, I'll simply do as follows. I'll seclude myself with a man. Uh, my husband will go do the pro- proper halachic thing. He'll warn me. He'll warn me. What's that called? A woman who's secluded with a man who's warned by her husband? A sota. A woman who's then warned and then brought to the base of, well, in this case, to the Mishkan in Shiloh. Brought to the Mishkan in Shiloh. And they go through a horrific kind of a procedure that involves uh, taking your hair covering off. One of the proofs uh, of hair covering from the Torah. Or at least a Dasi Hudis in Maring Subos. Um, and uh, she has to drink these bitter waters, and it's, uh, it involves erasing the Kaddish Baruch Hu's name. And she says, "Ah, what a shame, Hashem! I'll have to erase your name." But if that's what it takes, so be it. Because if a person, a woman, under, under, undergoes this this terrible ordeal of drinking the soda waters, but she proves to be innocent, what happens? Within a year, she bears a healthy, ruddy, happy little boy. And she says, "Your way or my way, Hashem? I'm good." And um, if you and I would dare to daven like this, uh, I wouldn't be standing near any crevices as they open up in the ground. That's not the way we speak to Kaddish Baruch Hu, But Chana is one of the examples. Who are the other two? I don't even know the Gemara Brachos. Moshe Rabbeinu and Eliyahu Navi. They also, Hitiach Dvarav Klape Mala. And if you're really sincere, and Kaddish Baruch Hu knows that you're coming from a good place, uh, you could daven like this. She has a bunch of other great things. Look at the Gemara Brachos. It's a great, great stories there, all of them. Uh, she, has a, she has not just a son, she has... Wow. Shmuel. Shmuel and Navi. I like him. Shmuel and Navi, according to the Pasuk, is likened to two people combined. Who is Shmuel likened to? Together? <clears throat> Moshe and Aram put together. He's that great of a Navi. Second greatest of all times, at least. Uh, he is maybe also the last of the judges. He's an apprentice to Elia Cohen. At one point, the Gemara says he oversteps his bounds. And he teaches a halacha in front of his Rebbe. What's the punishment for that? Death. Beware, dear students. What? Wow. Yeah, death. And Hannah's having none of it. She said, she said, no, you're not killing my kid after all of this. Uh, he said, well, he's Chayev Misa, technically. She says, no. Famous Pasuk? He's Falalti. I dive in for this kid. I want another one. And she's right. She gets, she, she, he, she gets him. How does that pass. work? 
What's that? How's that work? I have no idea. It's a good question. Go look at It's Lamed Aleph from the base in the, in, in Brachos. Go look up the Gemara. Uh, but she wins. When it's Chana, if you're Chana, you just get your way. Yeah. You know, be a, be a good Sadiq, and then everything works for you. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so Shmuel grows up. He's the apprentice. Think about Chana's godless. We named our youngest Chana for the, one of these reasons. Chana, all these years she's been davening for a son. Finally, she gets a son. He's three years old, and she gives him over to Kaddish Baruch You're going to be the apprentice to Eliko, and I'm not going to even see you. I won't even let you chocolate chip cookies when you come up from school in the afternoon. Right? That's Chana. That's Chana's godless. And uh, Shmuel becomes the apprentice. He eventually graduates. He becomes the Gadol Ador. Uh, when Shiloh's destroyed, Shmuel will change his residence to Mitzvah. He'll go around. It's his, his generation. He travels the countryside. He's independently wealthy. And he travels all over Israel and teaches Torah wherever he goes. He's, uh, he won't take hospitality. He doesn't like to Im- impose on anybody else. Uh, but, but he goes and teaches. And they say it is one of the few generations. Midan v'ad Beersheva. All across Israel there wasn't an ignoramus. Everybody knew Torah. Shmuel and Navi. Shmuel was there to anoint the first king of the Jews, Shaul. And finally the ultimate king of the Jews, David Melech. And uh, his legacy is the legacy of Shiloh. Uh, so absorb all this. There's a lot more we can say. I'm not going to. Uh, we'll go in now and try to put all these all these strings together. There is right in this in this uh, museum up here. There's a museum with many of the original um, objects that were found in Shiloh in situ, meaning they were discovered here. That's not copies, not replicas, which is pretty impressive. And um, above, we'll see a movie. Then we'll go to the movie first, and we'll see the museum afterwards. The movie's probably starting at three. Um, how could we sit in what is guessed to be, and I think it's a good educated guess, to have been the Makkum Mishkan, that's where we were sitting a few minutes ago, by Khan, we were talking about Khana. Um, how could we sit in a place that had such immense Kedusha once upon a time? So the answer is related to something that Ramban says on this week's Parsha, because whatever you're learning, it's always in this week's Parsha. He says that, why, if David's supposed to be the eternal... If, if, if David, the house of David in Yehuda specifically is the eternal monarchy of Kali Israel, why is it then that there was an earlier king, namely Shaul Amelech, who came from the tribe of Binyamin? How did Shaul have any status there? He's not supposed to be ruling the Jews. Nobody is other than, other than the tribe of Yehuda. Um, so the Ramban says that the, the reason that was the punishment of Kali Israel, on some level, that was the punishment. Yes, yeah, that was the punishment of Kali Israel on some level. Um, they asked for a king for the wrong reasons. When they asked Shmuel and Navi, they asked to be like the other nations. That's not okay. And because they had wrong reasons, the first monarchy was never destined to be permanent. Just like Shiloh, as the first site, was a temporary settlement elsewhere. The Ramban has a long, wonderful piece from Dani asked us earlier. Why, why come to Shiloh? Why not initially to Yushalayim? Um, the Jews didn't push for it. They didn't ask for a base of Mikdash. That was a fault of ours. Later in the days of David, after Shmuel's gone from the scene, the, the Jews endure a terrible plague, punishment, according to the Ramban, because they didn't David enough for the base of Mikdash. If you want the base of Mikdash, this is totally relevant for us today. If you want a base of Mikdash, you better David start. And when you get to that line about Yerushalayim, Yerucha, Barach, Mikdashu, at Semach David, right, those, those tefillahs, say it with feeling. Because if you don't say it with feeling, why is the Baruch Hu to bring the base of Mikdash? So they didn't say it with feeling. So the, the place was never endowed with that kind of eternal kedusha. So that by the time it was destroyed, its destroyed its destruction was muhlat. It was decisive and permanent, and we could sit there. And again, I mentioned on the bus when your meow much later describes what the Jews have potentially uh, pending if they don't fix their ways before the first temple will be destroyed. He said, "Look out! The first temple may go the same way as the second temple." What?
as Mishkan Shiloh. Shiloh is the symbol of all ultimate destruction. Um, I would like to get there. As we walk out, you'll use the. I suggest you use the bathrooms on the way out. Um, um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll head out. We'll leave, we'll leave that in a little bit. Um, Amisho came into Eretz Yisrael. Okay, we, we entered by way of Gilgal. Um, we came across the Jordan River, which used to be a massive river today. It's a trickle since they built the Degania Dam uh, and, and, and poured it off a lot of the water. Um, they, built, they were here for 14 years. Ubao Shiloh, they came to Shiloh, and they built, they built a great, great center for this long period. We keep, we keep saying the number, 369, um, that many years. Shiloh did not have, the, the, for all kinds of reasons, it was not meant to be the long-term uh, station of the base of, uh, of, of the Aron Kodesh and the, and the base of Mikdash. This part's confusing, but you got the, you got the details in the movie. The Aron Kodesh was stolen by the Plishtim. Taken, it was stolen by the battle in Afek, which is out near Rosh Ha'ayin in the Yemenites here. Uh, by Rosh Ha'ayin near, near Tel Aviv. Um, it was then taken down to their cities. Um, what happened when the Aaron Kodesh went to the Philistine cities? Who remembers this? Rats and, who could forget the rats and hemorrhoids? Chorim and, and Achbarim. Uh, and terrible things happened. All their false gods bowed down, uh, got crushed and, and destroyed. And ultimately they brought them back to the Jews of... After it traveled to some of their cities, got an Ekron and an Ashdod. Finally, it, it, thanks. Uh, it came to the Jews of Beit Shemesh. In Beit Shemesh, they didn't know how to properly give cover to the Aaron Kodesh, right? Uh, so I'm not saying anything. I'm not pointing out that Rabbi Pitam lives in Beit Shemesh or anything like that. But it, you know, um, and so they, they it didn't stay in Beit Shemesh. Instead, it came up to another city where they knew how to treat things with cover. The city's name. Kiryat Yarim, otherwise known as Telstone. Wow. Very holy place, very holy place. Anybody want to come and spend Shabbos there? Parshas Kisisa. You're invited to come to my what's house. Kisisa. Uh, a few weeks. We'll, 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 we'll have, what's we'll like, have, what's special we'll about Kisisa? To, it's when we're having the Derek Shabbaton in Telstone this year. Oh, um, and, good to know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway you're coming to the place. That was the place the Aaron Kodesh stayed, and because they knew how to be Noah Kavod, they were they were they gave oh, wow. honor to the Aaron Kodesh in Kiryat Yarim in Telstone. Um, it stayed there for 20 glorious years. Eventually, it'll be danced to by David Melch himself to Yerushalayim to be installed in Yerushalayim. Uh, and there it stood throughout the first temple period until where's the Aaron Kodesh today? Buried Indiana the Jones. Buried under the Domodora. So Machlokis in the Gemara. Machlokis. One opinion is that it's under under Harabais till today. That's a compelling view. Uh, the other one is the Babylonians took it off into captivity, and it's in Iraq, and it, it's today's Iraq, together underground with the rest of Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it'll all come back, Indiana Jones notwithstanding, it'll come back in the end of days when? When you and I make tshuva, and a Kaddish Baruch deems that we're worthy of getting it back, not before, right? So, um, so that's the Aaron Kodesh. These are the wanderings of the Mishkan. After Shiloh was destroyed, the Mishkan was in Nov. We made it, might have passed Nov earlier today for 13 years. Nov was destroyed. Shaul killed the, the, the Kohanim, 85 Kohanim there. Moved to Givon uh, for 44 years. Finally, the Mishkan is, um, is, is taken. The pieces of the Mishkan that could be transported were taken to Yerushalayim, Kodesh Shlomo, would use parts of them to build the first base of Mikdash. The rest he buried also underground together with great treasures. These are the wanderings 
of, of, of the holiest place, the central place in the world. Once Yerushalayim is built, there's no permanent resting point for the Shechina. That's the place till today. The Kedusha of Yerushalayim is eternal. Kichel HaShaisa, the Kichel Lavo, a permanent Kedusha from the times of Ezra till today. Other people, last comment, as we walk through, when we leave the biblical tell, we're walking into Flatland. That was the later settlement of Shiloh, first by Christians, later by Muslims. What do they have here? What do they keep coming to our holy places for? Why do they build all over Yushalayim for that matter? So they, they come to these places because of this idea, the, the term is supersessionism. Some of us have talked about it before. It means that they see themselves as a continuation of the Jews. First the Christians, then the Muslims. And so if it's holy to us, they incorporate it into their story. So that's why they're the ones coming back. That's why the ones building here. And that's why today we talked on the bus. They're the Bible thumpers today. They know the Tanakh arguably better than, um, there may be a couple people here who might not know it as well as some of the Christians. Of course, they're learning a corrupt version of the Bible. They're not learning it properly with Chazal. And um, to give you some perspective, you know, in terms of our own, our own chalik in this, um, if this is mostly new for you, um, Givaldic, what a great way to get started. You should be inspired to, to, to know, your, know our, heritage, our collective heritage and make it part of your, uh, put it into your bones, into your sinews and make it part of you. Uh, so much of life becomes more meaningful. Just a personal confession here. Um, um, I'm sure of it. I, I started becoming from for all kinds of reasons. But traveling around Eretz Yisrael and eventually guiding Eretz Yisrael, when you start to not only learn these stories, but live these stories and re-experience them and then understand their profound, profound relevance and moral significance in our lives. It changes you. It makes you realize that we're part of this ongoing Givaldiga people who are still davening like Hannah Davin. Um, a vort from the Avne Nezer, last point for today. The Avne Nezer, one of the great uh, Hasidic Rebbe's, uh, married the granddaughter of the Kutzker Rebbe. Uh, the Avne Nezer says like this, what's the vort? We started in the very beginning. Some of you heard this. In Shiloh, in Yushalayim, you ate the Kachim Kalim and the Meiser Sheni Bena Homos. You had a more defined area where you had to partake of the, of, of the holy, holy uh, food. In Shiloh, it was, anybody remember the term for it? In Shiloh, it was Bechol Everywhere the eye could see, and we described the fence, the stone fence that perhaps dates back to the days of Shiloh, was a demarcation to be able to say you can eat the Meiser Sheni here but not beyond. Why is this? Why it's something in this week's Parsha. Because everything you find is always in this week's Parsha. It's the bracha that Yaakov this time gives to Yosef. We're in the tribe of Yosef. We're firmly implanted in Ephraim. Why does he give, why is Bechol particularly relevant to the tribe of Yosef? What was Yosef's blessing? Yeah, he's, 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 he's Ale Ayin. He has the blessing of being Ole Ole Ale Ayin. He goes above, he looks above into the Kedusha and he avoids the Shmutz, the tomb of this world. That's Yosef's oh, blessing. Why did he deserve that blessing? Yosef was famously. Potiphar, Potiphar, right? Everybody coveted Yosef. Yosef was gorgeous. His face was Yaakov's face, which was the face in the Kisya Kavod of Kadosh Baruch Yosef was uh, one of the most stunningly beautiful people, and all the girls knew it, and they went after him. And Yosef at Tzadik, enduring the immense, disgusting impurity of, of Egypt, managed to keep his eyes above in a Kadosh Baruch Hu. So comes the Avnei Nezer connecting with Gemara and Zvachim. He says, that's why his descendants in Shiloh were zochim to the great schus, the benefit of having Ole, they were Bechol Roa, any place you could see, 
you could eat the, uh, the you could eat from the holy goods of the of the Maishasheni and the Kachim Kachim Kali. Because when you put your eyes on a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kaddish Baruch Hu gives you a special blessing to use your eyes only for good, and that was unique to Shiloh, says the Avne Nezer, right? So this is obviously, every one of these ideas are meant not just um, as, as ancient historical factoids, but are here directly for us. We're supposed to be Ola Ayin as well, and be Zofim to the Bracha of, uh, of eating, eating the Kedusha, the Cholaroa, wherever we, wherever we look. Okay, we'll head, we'll head to the bus, take it down from the way out.